Tonight's going to be a little different. Um, not only for the fact that there are two of us up here, um, but also for where we are in the Radical Root series. Chris, over the last two gatherings, has given us a, a really <coughs> strong picture of the Anabaptist tradition. Some history, the relevance to Christendom, and, and, the, and how the tradition has manifested itself over this, over centuries and centuries, um, especially out in, in Europe and parts of Europe, especially. What we're going to focus on tonight is as we go forward, you'll hear um, people like us who are coming into it new and fresh and finding real joy and real discovery um, from this tradition. Um, and we're going to frame it within the three tenets of Anabaptists. I heard, I, and I heard these tenets again in all, in all places um, in a secular podcast. Um, someone's friends of the Mennonites and referred to Jesus being the centre of our faith. What was it? Community being the centre of our life and reconciliation being the centre of our work. And so for the next three gatherings tonight and the next two, we'll, we're going to explore what it means for Jesus to be the centre of our lives and not just in a but in a gathering sense, but in our daily, everyday walks and journeys with him. And I think the place to start with that is discipleship. Um, for the Baptists, Christianity is discipleship. To them, following Jesus in daily life is discipleship. And we thought to start, um, Justin will talk a little bit later on about some of the learnings we found, but we wanted to start tonight with just what we understand right now. The word discipleship can be used as a bit of a buzzword. It's a word that can, we assume that we all have the same definition. It's a word that we may just take for granted based on our prior Christian church experience, but may not necessarily be true for everyone across the board. So how tonight's going to work is we're going to talk, instead of having one message and then a larger discussion chunk, we're going to break this into a few different chunks. And so I'm going to talk through a bit about my, my, my background and story around discipleship and we'll have a bit of time to discuss that. And then from there, we will learn a bit about the Anabaptists and finally connect it back to how that is relevant for we as a community wanting to follow Jesus in everyday life. For me, my, I'm obviously pretty recent to the community and I've come out of a evangelical modern church background um, where the intent and the, and the, you'd hear this all the time, was making disciples, um, and it was a primary focus. And even as we and Justin met, we were part of an organisation that was all about making disciples. <laughs> the, the intent under that, it seemed, was to make the process as simple as possible to optimise and maximise the time and resources a church or an organisation had to dedicate itself to disciple-making. So things were simplified. And the object, and based on the specific outcome that was to be reached, it was the emphasis was on speaking the gospel, speaking eternal salvation, the sinner's prayer, and forgiveness to get everyone on board to this minimum point. And then to once they were at this point of yes, you had eternity ticked off the box, to then grow them to a specific point, to then repeat the same thing on and on. And on. There was this element of removing as much doubt as possible 
to focus on a simple, succinct message that was clear, was concise, and can be could be produced to the masses. There were expectations and minimum sacrifices that were part of this mantra of discipleship that I used to be a part of. The cost of following was laden in superlatives to, to make this cost something. But yet under the, the production mantra, under this the simple narrative, it felt like as a person being part of that community, that you're almost on the production line. You sort of wedge into this environment and kind of push through at a certain pace because they felt that that was where a Christian, an everyday new believer, an everyday person would advance forward to a point of repeating the cycle. Everything kind of felt conditional on certain landmarks without the, without maybe the connection to our unique stories and to not only what we do and how we act, but what forms us internally in our souls um, as, that, as that may be looked at as the beacon to which our actions and, tr- and how do we frame transformation in our life. So from here, we'll get into discussion, which is a, a cool point. And hopefully we can, we've got enough to maybe get to maybe three or so groups. And what I'd like to ask oh, what's that? is how would you define <laughs> discipleship? And how have you experienced it? For some, it may be similar to what I've shared. To some, it may be very different. And it's purely based on the way that we've come to faith and the way we continue in the faith. So if we can get into little groups for about 10 minutes and have a chat about that, that would be great. Like three Cool. Well, hopefully that was helpful, and hopefully um, that started the conversation. Um, Justin, I want to ask you this question: How how would you define your how have you experienced discipleship? As a point, yeah, um, I was probably similar. I think discipleship was similar for me, although I kind of stepped back and uh, I kind of called what I was receiving as mentoring, mm-hmm. which is probably still the same kind of loading of the term. Mm-hmm. But in general, like. You know, it was just meeting with a couple people and working out our faith together and working out how to live together at a base kind of level was discipleship for me in uni. And very, very powerful. Like, I'm very thankful for that time of my life. It was, I wouldn't be here in this room if it wasn't for uh, an, an older guy taking some of us uh, other uni students under his wing and just helping us wrestle with our faith. Mm-hmm. And uh, although it was similar, I felt mm-hmm. like the main emphasis was on right belief. Uh, making sure our heads had the right kind of theology. Um, it still was very formational for me in terms of helping me work out what I believe about God and Jesus. And it just, I wouldn't say it filtered, it didn't go far enough, but I think it was very helpful and yeah, very powerful in start. Um, yeah. I think, I think we both share that. You know, we both come from those evangelical backgrounds, but at the same time share a kinship and an admiration for what we could do mm-hmm. and see the passion um, that emerges from those that are that mm. you could define as colloquially say as, as all in. Mm. Um, and that I think the way that our faiths and journeys have gone mean that we maybe look at it from a different angle, but we definitely can appreciate um, how their faith is formed and their practices as well. I think we talked a lot about experiences and talked a lot about uh, just now about what it means to us. Let's get a definition. So, Justin, how would you define the subject based on your research and based on what you've seen so far? What would, how would, how would you define, how would the Anabaptists look at this, look at this broad term? Yeah, yeah. So I told J-Mac in our prep that, like, 
I'm not, I don't have a definition type mind. I'm not a legal mind. I don't, I know behind definitions are essentially distinctions. I mean, you're trying to make something clear so that when you think you don't mislabel it, right? You're like, it's this, it's not this. Um, I actually want to start with a little bit of why they emphasize discipleship, mm-hmm. and then we can work our way to a sort of working definition that I have. Cool. I was raised Catholic, right? And when, when I was growing up Catholic, uh, I, I didn't really know this term <laughs> at the time, but what I heard it quite as soon as I left Catholicism was this culturally Catholic concept, right? right? Which is just like everyone in my, in my sphere, wasn't everybody in the town, although there was quite a lot of Catholic churches mm-hmm. and parishes in my town, they were Catholic. And we went to Mass, and we would do the Mass thing. And there would be scripture read, and the priest would give some strange sort of reflection that sometimes was loosely tied to the scripture, but it wasn't really much of a, I don't know, I didn't have much connection with scripture. And then, or, or really like more ideas of God other than this mysterious God. And then what happened for me, right, is that I had a crisis of faith. I was an altar boy. You guys have heard me talk about this. I had to ring the bells all the time, and it was like extremely anxiety-inducing. And I went to high school and found out that that was to shut up people in Italy and like the Middle Ages because they'd all be doing business and stuff. And it was just frustrating me that we still had this tradition. And I got really angry at God and Catholicism, and so I left. And when I left, I never really kind of lost the concept of uh, a belief in God, but it was kind of held together by strings. And when I went to a church, uh, an evangelical church, it was the first time that I heard scripture being kind of preached. Mm-hmm. And it like blew my mind that scripture was this vibrant living thing that had something to say to us right now. And it was nowhere near close to a reformation moment, right? But for me, it still had this like, whoa, this text has this power. And when I was reading, and I, I feel like I'm going to barely scrape the surface. It's a good thing Chris isn't here tonight. He'd probably be appalled about the, my lack of depth. But um, when I was reading about the Anabaptists during the Reformation, it's like you hear about like this technology change, right? It's like the internet of its day, mm-hmm. uh, the printing press, and like the script, scripture just going out and getting into people's hands. And all of a sudden, they started reading it for themselves, and they, they started to change what they thought. And the Reformation, like when they, they really were emphasizing faith, right? It became this big movement of they changed their beliefs. And there's a lot of toxic stuff happening because culturally Catholic was a big thing during the Reformation, right? It was like an identity of state. It was more like, uh, the closer I can think of it is like, it'd be like being American or New Zealand. Like it was, you were born there is what everybody did. It was a matter of holding society together. Uh, and all of a sudden they were reading this text and people were like, this is just not in there. And there's all sort of crazy indulgence, like the different practices that were at play with power, power dynamics. And the Anabaptists go to the text. And I think, <laughs> this is good stuff. I read it and I'm like, I don't know if it's this simple, but it looks like they went to the scripture and they just read the story of Jesus. And they said, like, this is what Jesus did. He made disciples. And he just, he, he actually asked people to follow him and do what he did, right? And, and that's what he did. He laid this foundation of discipleship. And they studied it, and actually, the Anabaptists would criticize the Lutherans because the Lutherans, or the Lutherans, the um, the others in the in the Reformation, they would say, you know, you've you got this big expression, sola scripture, which is like, you know, to scripture alone. And, and they said, yeah, it's great, you've gone to scripture, but you haven't gone back far enough. You, it's kind of like they went to Paul, 
but they didn't make it all the way to the to the gospels. And the Anabaptists were like, read the gospels. This is the foundation of what it means to 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 follow Jesus. This is the foundation of the church. The church essentially is discipleship. That's what uh, they came to. One of the, the authors I read said the great word of the Anabaptists was not faith, as it was for the other reformers, but following. It was, it was like, this is the foundation we've been given. It was actually that Jesus called people to his life and his way, uh, not just to these beliefs, to these creeds, right, which are foreign to the Gospels. We don't have too many creedal statements in the Gospels themselves. Um, yeah, so there was this, I just want to say, there's this kind of basic, and I can resonate with, I don't know if you guys, have you ever heard a paradigm shift, like, like leaving, leaving Catholicism to me, all of a sudden all these contrasts stand out. So it's like, if you're in a culturally Catholic situation where it's sort of like a loose, yeah, we got these beliefs, but beyond that, our lives are pretty much doesn't matter. Uh, and then you read the text that really jumps out the contrast of what you've seen in society versus what you read in scripture. Like for people to get the scripture and read the gospel and be like, Whoa, this is very different to what we're seeing in society. I feel like that was so kind of grabbed them. And it became this sort of like, go back to Jesus. What was Jesus up to? What did the church look like? And it looked like these students following a rabbi, doing what he did, and then continuing on in that. And I think that's to me is sort of why I think Anabaptist picked up uh, on this central point of like, the Anabaptists say Christianity is discipleship, full stop. That's like their kind of expression. And I kind of think this is this is why. Yeah, it's um, it's, it's I find that oh, I was going to say that's right. It, the, it seems as though to historically, but we kind of forget. I always forget this often that before the printing press, people were hearing scripture based on the words of a rabbi, based on the scrolls of the limited, scarce number of scrolls there were mm-hmm. that that were available, and so it was limited to those who could read, who could read and then deliver oratories in front of large audiences, and and you forget that. I forget this anyway, that there may be biases, there may be lenses in which text is looked at, there may be different points people want to get across, but when the text is purely given at that point, when the message of the gospel and the message of the Bible starts proliferating, we have this transition to where the Baptists talk about Jesus' Jesus way. Mm -hmm. They read that, they they see it for their own eyes and go, hey, what a second, what am I hearing all around the place? And what my forefathers might have said, May differ to what this text looks like. And I think mm-hmm. we may even see it, we probably see it now. Mm-hmm. As, you know, yeah. it's different lenses of scripture, it's different lenses of Christian culture proliferate certain Bible messages when we if you somebody go to the text and you go, right? <laughs> I, I wanted there to be, I have to be honest, I wanted there to be a more like kind of radical story than Bible study. I like what if Bible studies break out and make change? And then you go back and read it. It's like the Anabaptist in uh, outside of Switzerland, like the Zwigli, I never said his name right. Um, like around him, there was all these Bible studies. <clears throat> and that's what broke out this crazy new way of, of following Jesus. And then and in Moravia as well, like they had another. There was Bible study. And then they took Jesus' teaching and his life seriously. And all of a sudden it was like, poof, this new movement emerged. And I was like, man, I like to think Bible studies are like the least radical thing <laughs> around, but that seems to be like what happened at this this stage. Well, what's interesting though about this, and if I can just riff a little bit longer on it yep. quickly, is that they didn't see discipleship as a way to get salvation, which is often how mm. we look and criticize them. It wasn't mm. like, if I do this, then I will uh, essentially be 
worthy and, and get eternal life. The Anabaptists saw it as essentially the response to salvation. Like it was the reaction to um, the fact that God's grace had broke out in their life. Therefore they were felt empowered to live the Jesus way. Mm-hmm. It, it was actually like one of them said, uh, I'll just read you some of their quotes. Lives of faithful discipleships were not a result of striving to earn their salvation, nor a cause for pride, but evidence that God was truly at work in them. They saw it as the fruit of salvation. Like to me, I think back to John 15, like this idea of remain in me and I in you, and then you will grow like a vine and bear fruit. They saw that as like, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. I was really surprised. I mean, I got this stereotype in my head of like, Amish people I've seen where my dad bought a table from them and I remember going like the beards like they just they just look so cons- like confined in a, in a way and the early Anabaptists like were using words like the Holy Spirit all over and born again and I'm just like I have this like slightly <laughs> Pente meets Anabaptist thing going in my, my vision because it was it was surprised me that they were using that sort of, of language and they said like another uh, scholar said they insisted salvation made possible by Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit should lead to the transformation of a person's moral and social and economic life. Like they believe so highly in the power of the spirit that they said, if the spirit of God comes upon you in in this salvation moment, uh, it's going to change you Mm. and that's going to enable you, empower you to live this Jesus way. Mm. And so that, I think that's, you know, Boat and I had a conversation after the last one, we get this whole salvation uh, by works thing. And Boat said to me, he goes, no, it's more salvation for works. Mm. And I think, although that's probably a simplification in some ways, I think the the Anabaptists didn't believe that. Like Mm. it's, you know, we were saved to, to then, go off and make change and live out this life connected to Jesus. I think what what intrigues me about as I've read through the tradition was that they didn't that they they did a lot of comparison, the lot of literature I've written so far compares the Anabaptist traditions with the others that were present now and were historically present. And what I see is this kind of nexus between between belief setting, um, between spiritual experience, between forgiveness mm. and eternal salvation and the need for works and obedience. That it's not about any of those one though, one specific thing on its own or in singularity. It's all of them working neatly and tightly together. And there's this element of mystery. That it's, not, it's not as though that we're fully immersed in one, but we're, we're not kind of totally immersed in all of them. That would mm. be one way to look at it. Um, we probably need to get to this point. We're kind of running out of time. Yeah, but how did the Anabaptist practice? I mean, we've talked a lot about the emphasis, we've spent a bit of time talking about the Jesus way and a bit of background. Let's get to the practice. Let's get to the, the, the meat of this. How, how did this look? Yeah, that's, it, it, it's interesting. Like, I, I, I wanted to get, like, some more meaty examples of, like, how did they do it, like, an Anabaptist program of discipleship, which I couldn't really find. I feel like because it's, it's hard to find them in general. Yeah. It's sort of hard to find material. Yeah, it's, stories, interesting. Right? It's, it's an interesting thing, yeah. <laughs> When you're a part of a tradition that was labeled heresy for a very long time, they didn't uh, seem to have the best records uh, on the internet. But um, <laughs> yeah, uh, in terms of how, like, I, I just I think maybe I don't want to go too far. But so so the Anabaptists, like, we'll go back to this Bible study idea, right? And they essentially, in my oversimplistic, like, I'm just really baffled by this because I'm still like, I don't know, is it this easy? Not that easy, but that this is kind of simple. 
they, they looked at the life of Jesus and they took his words and his teachings seriously, right? Like they actually viewed them as instructional for how to be human. Like this is the way to be human. This is the way to live. Hmm. And so some scholars said that they took the Sermon on the Mount literally, right? And so like the practice of Dan Baptist, and Chris is talking about this. I think I'm probably beating this over our heads a little bit. That like, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, it says like, let your yes be yes, like no, no oaths, right? Like there's like, let your yes be yes. Don't, don't make an oath to heaven or to earth because it's the footstool, right? The Anabaptist said, all right, Jesus said it. We're going to do it. And so that became something they were known for. And they would, tr- you know, they would try to find you out and like see if they could get you to make an oath. And you wouldn't. Then they would suspect you're an Anabaptist. And I, and I think like, they, they were committed to nonviolence. I did find a list of things that described like the holy living of the Anabaptist. But as I read it, it really just reflects back taking the Sermon of the Mount mm. seriously and, mm. you know, putting, putting that into practice. Um, and Chris mentioned this. It was like they emphasized the teaching in the life uh, of Jesus. And, yeah, I, don't, I find it, it challenging that I think when we think of discipleship, we know the word means student mm. and space, right? It's, it's a pupil. It's someone who follows. And I often think that our experience with the educational system then impacts what we think a disciple is. Like, and when I think about my discipleship, it's like I was prepared for an exam sort of disciple. Like, I felt mm-hmm. like it mirrored the American educational system, how I was mentored. It was just a little bit better because it was, you know, the teacher to student ratio was low. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, and I think that's a challenge for us is, is to reflect on the fact that we bring, bring preconceived ideas of what it means, what it means to be a student. But the Anabaptist Network, which is uh, a book that, um, sorry, it's a it's a network yeah. that has a, a wide range of communities in it, like yeah. Anglican Anabaptist and Baptist Anabaptist. Right? They're just people like us who are trying to let the Anabaptist tradition speak into them. Mm. They have a core conviction, which I think gives you a little bit of a picture of what Jesus looks like to a student. It's the closest I'll come to a definition, mm-hmm. and uh, I'll just steal theirs. So yeah. I'm terrible at making them up. And it says, uh, Jesus is our example, teacher, friend, redeemer, and Lord. He is the source of all our life, the central reference point for our faith and lifestyle, for our understanding of church and our engagement with society. We are committed to following Jesus as well as worshiping him. And I'll just just read the first part again. Uh, Our example, our teacher our friend, our redeemer, and Lord. And I think that like the practice of, of being a student of Jesus, I think means to take those dimensions seriously. Mm-hmm. And I think the Anabaptists have pointed that direction, that Jesus is our example. Like We can actually follow and do mm-hmm. the things that Jesus, like Jesus said that to his disciples. You can do what I'm doing, right? Mm-hmm. You'll do greater things even. Like mm-hmm. We know that Jesus kind of, indicated that way it's just hard for us now in the west to believe it um that we, we should follow that example that that his teaching is actually instructional for how to be human right now like how to live right now um that he's our friend that like this one i think is one of the hardest that jesus actually cares about us and our, on our lives and our heart our emotions like uh i remember listening to a, a jesuit talk about the spiritual practices and one of the things that uh, he found as he was doing the, the examen is he, his director kept asking him, 
like, how do you see Jesus? How do you see Jesus? And it was like after a few weeks that he said, you know what? I'm starting to just see Jesus as my friend. His director said, well, then you're finally arriving at the heart of these practices. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is a sense where like the, that tradition of actually walking and sharing life with Jesus is core to what it means to be a follower. Like mm-hmm. that's that intimacy that his students would have had. Uh, Redeemer and Lord, like, you know, to know that our lives and we have our meaning and our hope comes from Jesus. And then the Lordship, which is probably the most challenging, like, that everything we refer to in terms of what's the way to live, what, what actually, who actually has authority over telling us the right way to go or the way that will determine life, the good news for us, you know, the good life, I should say, is Jesus. Like those aspects, those dimensions, I think, give us at least a starting point to work from to say this is what discipleship means inside the Anabaptist tradition. In terms of how, I didn't really land, like, I don't know if, the bearded ones gather and in <laughs> threes or fives and what they do. I don't, it, so I feel like I, that's a question I still have. Like what are some of the concrete ways they put this on the ground? I really wanted to get some more, um, but they might still be typewriting and not. <laughs> <laughs> maybe in the next little while as we start looking <laughs> just a little bit more, maybe we find some more stories. Hey, it's kind of funny. Like if I think as I was looking at how the evidence framed discipleship, if you hit the cliffs notes, summarize it it would be following the jesus way and mm. but at the same time i hope that the time we've been able to spend just to pan this out a little bit and just to give a bit more context understanding has really helped um so we're gonna go to discussion again quite simply it is two questions um what strikes you and what do you observe and maybe it comes down to that the core convictions of the anabaptist network and the words they use to describe god himself Maybe that's one thing you want to go through. But we'll give you another, we'll give you another 10 or so minutes at least to have that discussion, and then we'll come back and try and tie this back in a bit into our community as such. Sweet. Okay, so we've, we've had a bit of time to look at how we've seen this discipleship today and to write a bit of a compare-contrast point with this Anabaptist tradition, this radical... Jesus way. But I think as much as it's nice to have a conversation and to bring this up, at least land somewhere. And mm-hmm. I think it needs to land, hopefully on our Mondays off, yay, um, or later in the week, <laughs> that, that, that some of these traditions and these thoughts and discussions, and actually more importantly, the questions that we have can begin to filter. And hopefully we get to family together next week and we follow on from these discussions. That'll be the best thing. So, Justin, with landing this, <laughs> why is this relevant? <laughs> why, why, are we, why, 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 why are we taking time out of people's Sundays? Yeah, everyone's a bit tired, a bit sleepy. Why? You sound like Maya. Why, why? <laughs> why, why? This is a question that intrigues me a lot, and I think what's real important to me is, as as people, a lot of us are post. Uh, post, I don't know why the hell we label it. We're, we're post stuff, right? We're over, <laughs> we're over this, right? We're over, we're over this. We've done the conventions and we've gone north. We're post the word post. Yeah, we're post post. Post the video. I think how we, how we frame stuff becomes very, very important. Mm. Because I think I have a lot of baggage. I think maybe you guys do as well. Um, and I'm challenged for us to re-engage with this concept of discipleship 
And I just want to pose a quick thought. Like when I was changing jobs and I was talking to some of my colleagues about what I was going to be doing, uh, they didn't really ask me a whole lot of questions. The, the phrase they just kept saying is what an opportunity. Like that's just what I kept hearing. It was almost like I didn't even have to tell them what the job was. I just kind of slowly said, they're like, oh man, what an opportunity. And when I think about discipleship, I, I kind of wrestle with this and I, I've really been challenged by reading Dallas Willard. I, I just, I can't speak highly enough about the divine conspiracy. It's just such a good book. And it's talking about all of this um, coming from a bit of a, a different perspective, but same, same stuff. And he just, he, he challenged me to say like, what's actually at the heart of a, of a student, of a, a person who wants to follow Jesus. Mm. And he says this, like uh, they would be someone who finds Jesus so admirable in every respect, wise, beautiful, powerful, and good, that they would constantly seek to be in his presence and be guided, instructed, and helped by him in every aspect of their lives. They would find him so admirable in every respect, wise, beautiful, powerful, and good, that they would seek constantly to be in his presence and guided, instructed, and helped by him in every aspect of their lives and what i'm challenged by is that i grew up in a in a tradition uh in catholicism and then re-emphasized in evangelical we, we talk a lot about the cost of discipleship and mm. as rightly we should <clears throat> right and dallas just pointed pointed this back to me like when you go to this, like the parables of Jesus that talk about the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. one of the things that comes out is that there's there's a <laughs> if it comes, it's hard. two more times. So <laughs> uh, we think about the merchant, right? So the merchant goes and finds this pearl and sells everything the merchant has to buy the pearl. And we talk about man, that pearl cost that merchant everything, mm. right? And we frame it like that. Following Jesus is going to cost you everything. Pick up mm. your cross and follow. And there's truth. I'm not trying to downplay that. Mm. But Dallas will just ask you, he goes, that, that pearl was worth everything. <laughs> that merchant was skilled in the art of value. That's what that merchant does for a living. That merchant went and saw that pearl and said, this is worth everything I have. What an opportunity, mm. right? Like this is like a no brainer opportunity. Like, that to me is this, I'm challenged by this. I'm challenged because I feel like I've loaded Jesus down with all sorts of religious nonsense that I forget that like when his followers saw them, they just dropped their life and said, no, that's an opportunity. Like this is worth what I'm giving it. It's not like just all sacrifice, but it's actually like one of the best things I could ever have the chance to do. Like that to me is like, ah, I know I'm speaking speaking passionately to myself right now because it's kind of like that's kind of what I'm being asked again. Mm. Like, will I let will I see Jesus with fresh eyes again to say, you know, it's an opportunity to, to follow Him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I can read another quote. Why we transition a little bit? Um, yeah. So, so Dallas Willard says. Yeah. He said this again. So this is just another kind of similar quote. He said, "Unless we clearly see the superiority of what we receive as his students over every other thing that might be valued, 
we will not succeed. We cannot succeed in our discipleship to him. We will not be able to do the things required to learn his lessons and move ever deeper into a life that is his kingdom. And I think that to me is just like, I need to hear this. I need to hear that. It's like, it's not all crosses, you know, like I know there is a cross, but it's like, pick up your cross. Cause this is the way to go. It's not just pick up your cross and like, yeah, let's die. Cause dying's great. Like, I think, I think there is like, there is a sense where Jesus, the cost of following him has to be maintained or compared against the worth and the value of following him. I think whenever we separate it, I think we can become overly negative. And if we always talk about the worth, we'll probably be over like, happy clappy like how do we hold those two things in tension to say mm-hmm. yes there's cost but it's it's worth it and it's funny when we think about cost i think too often we can frame the word cost for production so you know we talk about the word cost of following being sacrificial mm-hmm. or being production or being service or being active based but yet we see this cost also in the jesus way talking about rest talking about formation and and our identity and the time we spend with God, things that may not seem productive or may not be the maximizing way we talk about making disciples, Mm -hmm. but inherently God sees value in that and sees that as being part of the cost as well. And I find that Mm -hmm. fascinating too. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. I I guess for me, like it's sort of a challenge, right? Because I, when I read that chapter in Divine Conspiracy, I was just like, oh, this kind of like hit me in the gut. I felt a little like sucker punched by Dallas. I was like, oh. And it's, it's, it's a little bad thing. It's a good chapter. So then I'm like, so, so, you, you, so I'm like, all right, so, so how, how might we, how might we re, I keep saying re, when you're post, you have re to re post. <laughs> just these terms. Um, Ethics is so Yeah, so, so what do you do? Like, what do you do in that space where I, and I sense God saying this to us, or I'm labeling God and, and trusting uh, that, it, that it might be. I think as a community, we're being called to remember Jesus, to remember the value mm. uh, of Jesus. And Dallas kind of points to a couple simple things, which, I, again, I think tonight's the sort of night of just like these simple things that were being kind of put in front of me. But he kind of just says, like, if you want to, to appreciate the pearl again, like, start with prayer. Like, just start with asking, like, God, show me your value. Uh, show me this worth. And I know that that seems, like, real too basic. But I think that that's part of that posturing of a, a state of, are you willing to be open? Like, are, you gonna, are we willing to open ourselves up to that possibility? I think it surprises me how much I how much active effort I put into closing myself down because I'm always worried about like, if I open myself up, then all the sorts of things might happen, right? This, this whole like thing where it's like, if I give my life over to Jesus, he'll send me to some part of the world. I don't want to go. Like that's Mm. a common fear in our faith that, that actually by following God, by engaging with God, we just, we're just, we're scared Mm. and I'm scared. So I close down and I'm actually actively closing off God. Mm. And so I think, one of the most basic steps we can take, right, is like opening up and praying. Like, God, show me again the value of Jesus and, and his way. It's funny that you talk about that as being simple, yet I think in any sort of relationship context where that is romance and marriage or in friendship and community, 
inherently we, we can make it sound so complicated and how to advance things and how to grow mm-hmm. things, but inherently it does come down to quite something as simple as communication. <laughs> so, I mean, as much as we can say it and try to say, oh, it seems so simple, but mm, come on, this. Yeah, 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 fair. It's, it's totally. And, then, and I think another thing I'm challenged with, right, is it's praying and then it's dwelling. And I'll keep saying this. John 15, I think, is a scripture for, for us in this mm-hmm. season. It's like, make your home in my words. Mm-hmm. Like, are we rooted in the life and teaching of Jesus? Am I? I'm asking this of me. Am I rooted in his words? Like one of the things I'm challenged by Dallas World's view was he was like, if the Beatitudes don't shape what we think matters and values, then the world's values start to. And then the Jesus way looks silly because it's upside down. And how do you maintain this upside down reference point without kind of letting those words soak in, soak our frame? our eyes so that that's how we see it. And I, I think there's this question, how do we as a community dwell in the life and teaching of Jesus in a way that like, isn't just overly religious and monotonous, but like helps us to affirm that that pearl is worth it. Mm. And yeah, so I'm challenged by that. And I, and I read, you know, a lot of this isn't that complicated in ways. Like when we get passionate about people, like musicians we love or like authors we love. I, I remember I read this book, like Steal Like an Artist. And it, it had this simple reference, like, you know, go to the person that you're obsessed with, read everything they've ever done. Just get into it, right? Just be in that stuff and then find out what inspired them, what was fueling in their mm-hmm. life and read all of that. And like, they talk about making like a map, like a, a family tree of the, the artist that you, that you appreciate and just get in their life. And I'm kind of like, that's sort of what we do in our faith, right? Mm-hmm. We find the people that have followed Jesus and we say like, I really like them. Let's read all their stuff. Let's read the stuff that inspired them. We go back to Jesus and we say, what was Jesus reading? You know, and, like, and reading things like that. And I, I just, I feel like, again, it, it's not that complicated. I think we make it complicated because we're scared. And I think there is a simplicity in fueling our lives with other people who were obsessed with the value of Jesus and, and, and letting them speak to us. And that's what we're trying to do here. I think... And what I think as well, and we, we talked about this earlier when we were preparing for this, is that when we spend time in that dwelling space, I think inevitably we're going to sit with the wrestle. Mm. We're going to sit with the frustration. We're going to sit with the tension. I know that we had a bit of dialogue and you had a quote about that to kind of close off our evening. Yeah. I'm going to share that and, and kind of get to the question again. Yeah, yeah, about wrestling. I, yeah. Think, I think there is uh, this tension, right, in, in Mosaic. We Early on, we talked about uh, this concept of worship. And we, we said that worship is never just what we say, but it's also what we do, this faith in obedience. And I think what was cool was you opened with this quote from Hans. Yeah. There's a lot of Hans. Yeah. Um, and, but that idea, that paradox, right? That like we know Jesus by following him and only, oh yeah, I don't want to mess it up. Yeah. Um, oh, good. Okay. Um, that quote from Hans? Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's get that again. As a momentum kill. Who was it? No one can know Christ unless he follows after him in daily life. And no one can follow Christ in daily life unless they truly know him, right? It's paradoxical. Mm-hmm. But I think that sort of interaction, like, how do we bring, I'm not going to say completely agile, but how do we bring a bit of experimentation, <laughs> experimentation to this, this practice? Like, how do we actually just say, like, I think there comes to a point where we've read the words of Jesus, we've prayed for God to, to create some value, that we just need to try something that aligns with it. And, and then through trying the Jesus way and tasting a little bit of that experience, then I think it opens up knowledge of Jesus. It's like, it's not something that you can read at a distance, 
like I think part of our challenge is to take small steps in following. I often want to just jump to big radical things, but I think I think it's okay for us to start and just say mm. this is simple obedience. Mm. But I'd like to just probably finish with this. Um, what what I think it means to wrestle is uh, again I'll steal some stuff mm. from Dallas yep. and. I think Dallas kind of said, like, like, we have this vision of what it actually means to be a follower of Jesus is to live our lives uh, in a manner true to the same spirit of Jesus' life. And as a disciple, I, you know, Chris gave us this question last year, which is what difference does Jesus make? And I think as followers, that's one of our central questions for every area of our life. And it's one I'm, I've been trying to wrestle with. But Dallas frames it like this. As a disciple, I'm learning. What is the full quote? Um, as a disciple of Jesus, I'm learning from Jesus to live my life as he would live my life if he were I. I'm not necessarily learning to do everything he did, but I'm learning how to do everything I do in the manner that he did all that he did. And I, I mean, I just paraphrase that, like, uh, what difference would Jesus make to how I'm living and working and, you know, and parenting? And, and I guess this for us as a community is like, where do we create the space? And I think some of our groups of threes might be a place where we do that, where we're asking that question and trying to wrestle with it. Like on a personal level, how am I experimenting with living my life the way Jesus would? And I, I kind of feel like that's what we're wrestling with as a community. Um, and that's what I think we'll wrestle with the rest of our life. I don't think that's necessarily like we're going to nail it and be done. Mm-hmm. But I think every moment, every situation presents us with this kind of dance we do with Jesus, which is, I'm in this context, Jesus, what would it look like to live your kingdom away here? Yeah, I think that's sort of what it means to follow Jesus in life. I think that's what the Anabaptists were about. And I think how Dallas has worded it, it's kind of wordy, but it helps kind of frame it to me. Jesus isn't asking us to be Jesus. Jesus is asking us to live true to his way where we are. Um, I just some hearing. I can't like reconcile in the moment. I don't even need to see it two, three days later to go, oh, that's what you mean. <laughs> so I'll take a while to sit with this one. I um, hey, Justin, thank you so much for your thank preparation. Thanks, man. It was good. Um, that-